Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. That's great. Well, you heard it before. My name is Leona. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's always a privilege to bring the Word of God to you. And I shall also never, ever eat a burger in a public place again. <laughs> that was just what I thought before. <laughs> Bless you guys. <laughs> um, I don't know about you. I don't know if in your life before you had a moment where all of a sudden something, a revelation occurred and you were like, oh my goodness, my whole understanding just got a bit shaped. Have you had this before in your life? I remember a moment in my life when I was 19 and up to that age, I lived in the very same place, in the same culture, around with the same people, with the same teaching, with the same eating habits, with whatever, all the same. And then I moved to South Africa. And in whatever week, two, three, whatever, I was rostered on the kitchen team. And we entered the kitchen with seven other people from seven different nationalities. And you would not believe in how many different ways you apparently do the dishes. <laughs> and every single way was right. It was all right. It was like some people put the dishes first in the dirty water, or like in, in clean water, then in soapy water, then out, or just soapy water and then rinse it under running water and let it flow. Just don't ever stop the running water flow. Why would you? <laughs> Other people would keep as much soap on the plate as possible. Just do not touch it anymore. Just to make sure that it cleans itself after as well. <laughs> there was lots of stuff. And I, was, I remember standing in the kitchen and I was like, oh my goodness. Like I never thought about the fact how you can do your dishes in your life. It just opened up a different world to me a bit. Just to see life a bit differently, a bit more open, I guess. Where we are entering a season in history today where the disciples or the, the, the Jewish people really lived for generation after generation after generation under the law that Moses had given them. And then Jesus came and Jesus challenged them, lived amongst them, taught them, and then he died. And the apostles, his apostles, his disciples, they didn't all quite get what was happening not to the depth of it. They were like, what is going on? What is happening here? And then Jesus rose again. He conquered death and he was alive. And then he showed himself again to the disciples. And then it says in Luke 24, 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Can you imagine that moment? Can you just put yourself in the shoes of these disciples standing there? Just still thinking and grieving of what actually just happened? Knowing this Jesus, even saying, yes, you are the son of God, Lord. But then he died. It's like, what the heck is going on now? And now he's standing in front of them as flesh. Again, showing them his hands. And then Jesus said to them that every single thing that was said in the law about him has to be fulfilled in him. And then it says that Jesus opened their minds to understand scripture. Poof. 
this week. It's like, oh my goodness. Imagine, all of a sudden, all the dots from the Old Testament make sense. All his teachings from the past where they had questions about. They could just see it all happening. They were like, oh my goodness, you are. You are Jesus. <laughs> you are the God who created us. That's you. And you just conquered death. That's what you've done. And then Jesus said to them, and now I will go and I will be with my Father in heaven. And you wait. You wait on the Spirit. And so now we are in a sermon series on the book of Acts and we talk about Holy Spirit. And in the first week, we talked about who Holy Spirit is and we talked about that Holy Spirit is with us as the agent of salvation. And we talked about that Holy Spirit is in us as the assurance of our salvation. And that Holy Spirit comes upon us to equip us and empower us to bring the good news to all the world to bring the message of salvation into this world. This is Holy Spirit. And then we talked about last week about the deep importance and the significance of Pentecost and what Pentecost was all about. And we talked about that Pentecost was not just a really weird random event that happened with like a bit of fire and tongues and wind and what, what is even happening here. But that Pentecost has a, had a really high significance. Like nothing in the Bible is just for nothing in it, is there? It's God's word. And we've seen that Jesus, through Pentecost, revealed that he is the Messiah. He has shown them, and he has even shown it to them through the Jewish festival calendar. And then Jesus taught, uh, showed them three signs that happened at Pentecost that just had to prove that he is the Messiah. And the first sign that he showed them was wind. And that represented the new creation. In the second book of Genesis, we saw when God um, created human beings, he, he breathed onto them. There was like wind, breath, spirit, and he, and he called them into being. And there was a living being. And then in Genesis 3, he talked about how humans walked away from God and we sinned. And the, and the consequence of it was death. But it wasn't. Death in the flesh immediately was it, but it was death in the spirit. And in that moment, there was a gap between humanity and God. But at Pentecost, at Pentecost, that, that curse from Genesis 3, the consequence of sin was being made right again in Jesus. What an amazing, amazing testimony that he is the Messiah. The second sign he showed them through the event of Pentecost was fire. And fire in the Bible often represents God's presence. And under the old covenant, they, there was quite a gap between them and God. Here were the people and there was God on Mount Sinai. And they couldn't get him. But under the new covenant, when the fire came upon them and it showed them that God's presence is now in them, that spirit is now in them, that actually enabled them now to, to enter the throne room of God in confidence and to pray to him, to speak to him and to say, Abba, Father, you're my father. And the third sign that Jesus showed them through Pentecost was tongues. And that was a Babel reversal through the birthing of the church. 
this show that the good news now is not just now only for the Jewish people, but in fact for, for everyone in the world, that all those who believe in his name, that he's died on the cross for all of them, will be saved. And what was the outcome of it? Where we saw that at the first Pentecost, when the law came down to earth, that it caused death on upon 3,000 people. And at the second Pentecost, when the Spirit came, it brought salvation on 3,000 people. That is remarkable. That's only something that our God can do. Amen? So what is the key to accessing this life? I would like to pick up now from where we finished with last week and I would look, like to look into the response of the people. So let's read together from verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. They asked, Lord, well, Peter, what shall we do? And what did he say? Repent, repent and be baptized. Repent, repentance means that turning away from something that you know is wrong in your life, turning away from sin, and turning towards Jesus where you know that he is the answer of salvation. It is a turning point, a decision-making point in life. True repentance, genuine true repentance means that you just, that you just look at your life and you don't just worship who you are anymore, but you worship who Jesus is. That's what it means. It's like letting go of everything in you and being like, you know what, Lord? This life, my life should just be all about you. It's all for you. That is true repentance. It's to stop worshiping religion and to start worshiping Jesus. And then it says, get baptized. We are a Baptist church. Says our name, doesn't it? We believe in baptism. We believe that the power of baptism is sorry, that it shows, it's a public declaration where it shows that you die to yourself and you come alive again in Jesus. And can I just say that if you have believed in Jesus or over many years already and you're not baptized yet, or you've just met him, just be obedient and get baptized. It is such a celebration. It's a declaration that you say to everybody, you know what, I'm actually, I'm in, I'm his disciple. I'm following Jesus, I believe in his name. We have a baptism service coming up soon and we would love to baptize you. We really would, come and see us after. And then the Bible said that those who, be, who repent and believe in his name and get baptized receive the Holy Spirit. And this brings us now to the end of the book of Acts where we begin to see how through Jesus and through his victory on the cross and through the coming of the Spirit and the birthing of the church is his gospel message now reached out and proclaimed to the whole world. So let's read together Acts 2.42 to 47, the fellowship of the believers. It's about the church. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. This passage describes the early days of the church. This passage describes the early fellowship and the people came together just after Jesus died, was resurrected, ascended to heaven and the spirit came. That was the time. What a time to be alive. And that passage is also a bridge between Pentecost and the rest of what's yet to happen in Acts. Because at this time, they receive favor in the people's sight. And soon we can see how they're actually facing persecution. But in this special time when they met, they could just really focus on who they are as a church and they could devote themselves to it. And it says in this passage that they devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. And these four things are also called the four marks of the church. And so let's just look into it a bit what that means or meant for them back then and also what it means for us today, shall we? I found this quite challenging, to be honest. The longer I sat on it, the more it challenged me personally and I pray that you would sit here right now with open hearts to just truly ask Jesus in the spirit, be like, all right, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? So firstly, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the word devoted is a common one that combines a steadfast, single-minded dedication to a certain course of action. They were committed to it. They chose it. It was a decision they made to be completely devoted to it. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles who taught them were equipped to do it. They have just spent quite a number of years with Jesus. They've seen him at work. They've seen the miracles, they've seen him teaching, they've seen him just radically challenging people. They have seen him dying on the cross, they've seen him coming alive again. And then Jesus said that he opened their minds to understand scripture. They now could actually put all the dot points together from all the Old Testament and all the teachings that they received in the past and bring it into the context of what it meant for them as a church there. So they were equipped and they did it. And the people who listened to them, they were hungry. They wanted to learn more. They were like, what just happened here? What is going on? Who is this Jesus and what does it mean for my life? They were hungry in their hearts. A spiritual church is a church who devotes themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Because it's the spirit who humbles people to listen to scripture and to be obedient to it. The second point they devoted themselves to is the living in fellowship. They said this fellowship was quite a special time in history. They just came all together and they had a common crown and this was Jesus. 
I believe there were many people from all sorts of different backgrounds, obviously, and different upbringings and beliefs and Jewish and Gentiles and all of it, but they had one thing in common, and this was Christ. And they focused on him. The word fellowship here is kanonia, and kanonia has two emphases. Firstly, it means that um, the sharing together, what we give as well as what we receive. And it says... Um, in this text here, that the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So what does that mean for us here today? Does that now mean that you leave this room here right now? Love it. Who's willing? And, and sell everything that you've got. Everything. Just sell it all off. Well, I don't think it does. So you can all not chill. Because it's always important to read context in the Bible, isn't it? Yeah, just a quick tip in exegesis. Don't you ever put one single verse out of the Bible and base your whole theology on it. It says only a couple of verses later that they were still meeting in their homes to break bread. So they still obviously had homes. And there's also a lot more teaching in the New Testament. Second Corinthians 8 is talking about it. Have a look later about what it actually means in terms of our finances. However, I do believe that we have a really high an important responsibility to think about this topic. Back then, there were 3,000 plus people who, who belonged to the early church. Right now, and praise God, we have millions of people all over the world who call Jesus Christ the Lord. This is amazing. But what does that mean for you and for I? How we, how we pray about our money, how we use our finances, how we share in with the other people, and how we look after them. What does it mean for fellow believers in this room here right now when you know that someone is struggling? Are you taking all ownership over the money that you own or do you actually trust that this is God's? The second meaning from the word kanonia is that it's is sharing into something in together. And in this context, the in together was in God. They shared in God together. That was their common ground. Those those believers experienced a relationship that was so beautiful in the beginning. They were truly there for one another. Caring for each other. They devoted their whole lives to the fellowship. And this is something we can ask ourselves too today. How do you live your life? How do you live your life throughout the week? How do you live your life within this church, within this church community? Are you, are you willing to go up to someone and say, you know what, I'm actually sorry, I've done you wrong. Are you willing to apologize? Are you willing to, to look to someone without comparison and actually humble yourself enough? Because that just brings jealousy, doesn't it? Are you willing to forgive if someone has done you wrong? And let me tell you right now, because as I thought about forgiveness, I think a lot has been taught wrong about forgiveness in the past. Biblically speaking, forgiveness is always meant to move you to a place of purity, of full restoration within a relationship. Forgiveness has never meant to be intended to minimize or undermine or whatever if anyone is ever handling you in an abusive way. And I just want to make this very clear. Forgiveness is meant to move us to a state of purity. 
And if this is, if this is what Jesus wants for us, church, then he wants a church of purity and of holiness and of love. And then this is what he wants of us too. Are you willing to be part of a community like this? Are you willing to do your bit to be a part of a community like that? Another little fun fact that I thought of when thinking about them living together in fellowship is that they actually met in the temple's courts. They still meet there, met there. And that just shows that they didn't just throw off all of the Jewish tradition and customs and cultures and everything because we are meant to live in this world and not from this world, right? And I loved it that the early church has done this from right in the beginning. Right in the beginning. The third mark of the church they devoted themselves to was the breaking of the bread. And that has been a bit of an interesting one because different commentaries really have different arguments around it. <laughs> But something that it's Luke's term of what, the, uh, what Paul later on calls the Lord's Supper And that by this was meant the simple opening of a Jewish meal where they broke the bread. And Jesus had done this at the Last Supper and also when he fed the multitudes. Um, and others say, now clearly it stated communion. However, whatever, it is meant to point to Christ. They devoted themselves to remember what Jesus had done for them on the cross by sharing the bread. And the last Mark, they devoted themselves to of the church, was they devoted themselves to prayer. And prayer is such a gift. If you want to be in a relationship with someone, you want to communicate with this person. If you want to be in a relationship with God, you want to communicate to him. I love a quote what Andrew Murray says from prayer. He says, we must begin to believe that God in the mystery of prayer has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and can bring its power down to earth. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a gift. Do you know that in the last census in Australia, 43.9% of people declare that they call themselves Christians. It's heavily declining, but it still means that almost every second person choose to, to tick the box to say I'm a Christian. My heart actually broke just thinking of it. I did really wonder how many of them see this as a religion and how many of these people do truly know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as a friend. You know, if you, you can pray your whole life without choosing to be in a relationship with Jesus if you see it as a duty and as religion. Muslims pray five times a day to Allah and they are not in a personal relationship to Allah. Prayer is not something that is forced upon us. Prayer is not a duty. Prayer is not a I have to and I must. Prayer is a I want to. I want to be in relationship with you, God. I want to spend time with you. I want to be open in my heart to receive what you've got for me and to change me. It says in the text that they had glad and sincere hearts. That it didn't come out of nowhere. If you want to spend relationship and time with Jesus, he will change you to become more like him. A spiritual church is a praying church. 
So these four marks of the church, the teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of the bread, and the prayer, they all go together. You can't actually leave one of them out without affecting all the other ones. That's not happening. They go together. If you choose today to say, all right, I don't want to sit under teaching anymore of the word, and you choose not to have an open mindset in your life to keep on being educated about what God is teaching us through, through the word, guess what happens? The noise from this world, it gets too much louder. The impact, the mental impact in everything you listen to will just overarch your mind. And Jesus will be part of it just somewhere over here. You have to stay devoted. And we are not out of a must-do, but out of, Lord, I want to get to know you to the teaching of his word. Keep an open mind, stay learning. We are all learning. I believe you can never stop learning in this life. If you choose to be a part if you choose not to be part of a Christian fellowship, what does this do to you? So sadly, we've seen so many people who choose not to come to church anymore. It's pretty tough to sustain your faith if you're not part of a Christian fellowship. So many are just drifting away over time. It's heartbreaking. We are meant to do this together. We are meant to be this fellowship there where true love can be experienced, where we are there for one another. Encourage each other. Be accountable. Stay together. That's also why it's so important to pray for brothers and sisters all around the world who live in very isolated places and can't actually be part of a fellowship. Or missionaries who go out and can't actually be part of a fellowship. It's tough. It's hard. They don't have any super, super powers. They can't actually join in in one of the marks of the church, which is fellowship. So pray for these people. If you choose to no longer participate in the breaking of the bread and in communion, you are missing out. And if you choose to do all of this, but you stop praying, then you have actually forgotten about that in and through prayer, you bring heaven on earth. This is the point where heaven and earth meets. Otherwise, prayer wouldn't make sense. It would not make sense. And at the end, of the chapter, we could see that the, what was the fruit of all of this? The fruit of being devoted to Jesus with your whole life. Not out of a duty, but because, and I want to. The fruit was out of the overfilling of all of this, the Lord, the Lord added to their church numbers day by day those who believed. I really pray that this would be part of this church too that the Lord would just keep on adding numbers, those who believe in his name, and that we would be a church who would be open and willing with open and wide arms receiving these people in. Maybe be 15 times the size in five years. I just pray for that. I pray that people in and around Mambaka will just hear the good news and be saved because of the overflowing of how we live as a community, of how we devote ourselves to Jesus, of how we pray and how we break bread. So they could just see us and be like, what is all of this? Who is this Jesus? Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit is proof that Jesus is on his right-hand side of his Father. Jesus is alive and he continues to pour out his Spirit to those who believe in his name. So what do we have to do? Have to, can do. <laughs> Get baptized. Get baptized. 
If you haven't been baptized yet, please come and speak to us after. We would just love it. Just to support you and I take the step of obedience, it says here. And the answer is repent. To actually acknowledge that we are not enough. That there is a lot more to it. That we need Jesus in our lives. That we need Jesus in this church. Man, this church is full of people and I don't know about you, but people are people. Right? So, but as we seek to live in this closeness, in this closeness of community together, we still, the, the harder we try, we still will recognize that we are still not enough. We still need Jesus. So we need to repent and to say, Lord, we need you. Please purify us. Purify us individually and purify us as a church. And we talked about it as of last week. They've led us in a bit of a time of repentance that it would be really lovely now to come together as a church, as one body of Christ in front of Jesus and repent and tell him that it's all about him. So I would like to invite you now, I would like to invite you to stand or to kneel. I will read out a letter of repentance and the letter of repentance will also be on screen. And you can read it with me as you come before our Lord, shall we? Amen. Lord God, your word commands us to love you with all our heart and soul and mind and to love other people as we love ourselves. We confess that we are guilty of breaking your commands. We have not loved you or other people as we should. In our hearts, we have turned away from you to other things for hope, meaning, security, and honor. In our relationship with other people, we have committed many sins in our thoughts and words and actions. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done. Lord God, in ourselves, we are guilty before you. We cannot excuse our sin and we cannot make it go away. But in your Son and his death upon the cross, you have dealt with our sin once and for all. He bore our sin entirely and paid the punishment we deserve in full. 
Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.